and we're in the fourth week of this incredible summer series. If I must say myself, I'm growing, I'm learning so much. We thought that this summer would be laid back, answering your questions, easy questions, just kind of giving scripture references, and you have kept us up late at night all week now trying to dive into the scriptures and have answers for you. It's called You Asked For It, and um, you did ask for it, for sure. And uh, we're in the fourth week, like I said. Our desire for this series is twofold. Number one, we desire to answer your questions that you have. We receive so many texts and different emails and incredible questions that really take us into the depth of the scriptures to understand what is this Christian life all about and can the God of the Bible be trusted? And can the Bible be trusted? And is our faith in Christ really what it's all meant to be? And uh, so number one is answer your questions and hopefully you can then go to your friends and uh, hopefully neighbors and any unbelieving people in your life, and you're going to be able to answer their questions. But second, uh, our second desire for this series is to challenge you, to make you own your personal relationship with Jesus for yourself, to make it personal, to make it tangible, to make it real. And only you can do that by letting God in. It is your personal walk. It is your personal relationship. And that leads us to this week's question. And so I got a text, and it's this. What is involved, uh, before that, sorry, what is involved in the life of a Christian? And what needs to transpire to become a Christian? Let me say that again since it's not on the screen. What is involved in the life of a Christian? Sounds easy, doesn't it? It's not. Not when you're trying to study it and give an answer. I mean, it is simple, but it's complex in its nature. What is involved in the life of a Christian and what needs to transpire to become a Christian? So what this person is asking is what does a Christian look like? Just like the logos and the images you saw on the screen, can you identify a genuine believer, a genuine Christian, a follower of Christ when you see one? When you look in the mirror and you look at your life, can you identify if you truly are a follower of Christ? Because the Bible tells us, and Jesus himself told us, that the world is to recognize followers of Christ. If we're just like the world, what's the point? Right? Jesus says, I'm not of this world. I've come to seek and save the lost, to give abundant life. Not that the world offers, but my heavenly Father offers a kingdom of heaven that is more real, more tangible than even the physical world we're living in. And this is one of the most important questions you will ever ask yourself. This is one of the most important questions we could ever ask ourselves as a church called Elevation Community Church. This is one of the most important questions that all the churches that call themselves Christian should answer. And know for sure 
what the Bible says is true. Do you realize that this question has been a major question in our culture and society all the way back to when Jesus ascended after he rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost in the upper room and finally came with his presence to live inside of man and woman where his permanent presence, his Holy Spirit lives within us. This question has been going on for over 2,000 years of what does a follower of Christ look like? So I want to speak to you this morning. It is absolutely crucial for every single person here and online watching live. It is absolutely crucial for you to grasp what it is you believe. Because if you are not confident and sure in the salvation that Jesus offers, you will get swept by the current of our culture and our fallen world. We see it every day. If you're going to be sure of something in this life, this is the question you have to be sure about. Not just for the people around you to whom we're told in the New Testament we're supposed to have an account or an answer for the hope that lies within us. It's not just for them, but it's for you to guarantee a healthy relationship with God through Jesus Christ here and now and forever when we leave this earthly body into eternity. Your life is on the line here. And I'm not just talking the life that you're breathing right now. The spirit man, the spirit life that lives beyond the body. We have to answer these questions because when we leave this earth and we approach the judgment seat of God, we will have to answer that question. So I would like to be pretty confident of the question now of what is salvation and what does it look like in my life? You've seen many people. You may even be one. I know I was for many years who called themselves Christians who went to church, who served with the best of them, who gave faithfully, who were kind to people, who looked like a Christian. But we didn't have Christ in us. And so today, my prayer is that as we get an understanding of the salvation that was done for us on the cross and available to us now, That we would not only believe it, but we would receive it and begin to live a changed life. Would you pray with me? Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your truth being revealed to us through your Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, that each one listening right now, you absolutely love. You cherish them. And I just pray right now, God, through your spirit, you would just ooze out your love wherever they're at. Each person, God, that they would feel you, not feelings, not emotions. They would experience you in tangible ways and know that you are with them. And so, God, take my human words. 
and make them yours. Inspired by your spirit. Awaken our hearts, God. To be never the same. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is salvation? I'm going to give you a second while I get a drink of water. I'm going to give you a second to internally, rhetorically ask yourself this question. What is salvation? If someone asked you right now, what is salvation? What would you say? What would you say? Not what your pastor would say. What would you say? Now, before you define salvation, we need to understand our need for salvation. Because you can understand salvation, you can know what it is, but if you don't realize you're in need of it, you're not going to run after it and pursue it. So let's look to the Bible. I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures out your way. Please write them down or put them in your phone. Uh, we do have a, a, a phone app now, and we have a Bible um, version connected to that phone app, and you can take notes, uh, however you want to do that. But again, take ownership for your spiritual relationship with God. Romans 3.23, very famous verse that many of you, if you grew up in Sunday school, you learned this. For everyone has sinned. This is the New Living Translation. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. Who has sinned? Say it together. Everyone. The Bible says if you don't think you've sinned, you call yourself a liar. Everyone has sinned and we fall short. We fall short of God's glorious standard. Perfection, righteousness, holiness, the only way we can have relationship with the almighty God. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says it this way. That all of us like sheep. You can be offended by that. They're calling you sheep. Do you know what sheep are? They're stupid. Sorry kids for that bad word. They go right when you tell them to go left. They go to the bathroom in the same trough they eat from. They get stuck in the fence and they don't know how to get out. You, like sheep, have gone astray. You've strayed away. Didn't say he's lost sight of you. It says you have strayed away. We have left. God has not left us. We have left. God's path to follow our own. If you read Romans 1, that's what it's all about. We've rebelled against God. We've rejected God. We've blasphemed him and said, God, to hell with you. I'm going to do life my way. And so finally God, in his patience, but in his righteousness, and with justice, he gave us over to our sinful ways. But he didn't leave us. He's a good, good father. So because of our sinful fallen state, 
We were separated. We were separated from being united with the most holy God who made all things, is in all things, and over all things. That's the God we serve. Now this means that because we've fallen away from His relationship and His love, this means we are sinking in the punishment of our fallen sinful state, which the penalty of sin is death. Death means, yes, a physical death. That's why we have physical death on this earth. But it also means a physical, or excuse me, a spiritual separation from God in hell forever. Now, before you write me off, before you tune me out, well, how could a God, loving God, send people to hell? We talked about that last week of why bad things happen to good people. And we had to look at God's character. We had to look at the whole picture. He's all loving. Yes, he doesn't want anyone to fall away. He desires everyone to be with him forever. But he's also just and righteous and holy. And he cannot be in the same place where there is sin. That's why we read through the Old Testament of over 600 laws to be pure and righteous and sacrifice for the forgiving of our sins and have a tabernacle to where we had to have the priest go into the holy place for the forgiveness of our sins. He's holy and righteous. But as we read on in Romans 3, hopefully you're still there, we start to see one of God's characteristics start to just rush through on the scene to come and rescue us and save the day. It says this, follow along with me, starting with verse 24. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, God doesn't owe us a single thing. And if we understand that, when we get a glimpse of his undeserved kindness, it changes us. It changes us. Parents, have you ever had that moment to where your child finally starts to understand, wow, mom and dad really love me. It's not just about getting treats and they're just not trying to buy my love and affection. They love me. That's getting a glimpse of God's undeserving kindness. And it goes on and it says, He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. You you remember our need for salvation? Well, here's what Jesus did to meet that need. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right. That means justified. Justification. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus is sacrificed, or excuse me, sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. His character. His heart. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Imagine 
the people who have come out of the Old Testament law. 600 laws. 10 commandments. And Jesus is saying, you are now made right through my sacrifice. That's life changing. And so hear me, church. When we come to understand and recognize the damaged, broken, destructive, sinful state of our lives, we can then realize our desperate need for a Savior. And we will not rest until we find it. Salvation, therefore, is all about our stain, sinned life being completely justified, made right in the eyes of God. The Bible says that our rebellion and our hostility towards God is completely forgiven. Completely removed. Completely cleansed. Completely made new. And in result, we are finally reconciled to God by being made His children. That should blow your mind. This salvation work that we're talking about, being justified and made right and being cleansed and forgiven, is only done through one person, and that's Jesus Christ. The salvation work is based only in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. Jesus said, I am the life, I'm the truth, and I am the way. No one can come to the Father except through me. And we're going to see that in a moment, that this is none of your doing. Because if it was, Jesus would not need to come and lay down his life. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. Would you follow with me? I know this is long, but I'm just going to ask the Lord to just Allow the words to jump off the screen into your heart and into your spirit. Do it, Lord. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead. If you don't have Christ, you are dead man, dead woman walking. You have a body, you have a cavity, and you're breathing. But you're a dead man walking. You were dead in your sins in which you once walked, following the courses of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's not meaning the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the devil. Among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. You've got to love the buts in the scripture. But God. Being rich in mercy. Remember, remember, he doesn't owe us a thing. He's being rich in mercy. Because of what? The great love. That is going to be the rest of the theme for the rest of the day. His great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. So many of you are stuck in an area where you can't get past what you've done. Get past it because Jesus got past it. And he died for it. And it's victorious and it's removed. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up 
Thank you. Someone's getting it. And raised us up with him and seated him with him in heavenly places. We live on this earth, but our spirits already are seated in heaven with Jesus Christ. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by, say that word, grace. Let's try it one more time. For by, and one more time. For by, you've been saved. For by grace. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. Salvation is a work based only upon Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection from the dead. Salvation is a gift of grace. What is grace? Undeserved favor. Grace. Grace is like an ocean. It's endless. It's vast. It's deep and wide and its waters never end. God will never stop loving you. He will never stop loving you. It's not about you. It's about His love for you. We need to get over ourselves and understand that we are loved radically. Ravishly, we are loved. He says, come to me and I will make you new. Grace, undeserved favor, is the hallmark of the Christian faith. Grace is God knew everything about you and he still chose to love you and die for you. Grace is there is no secrets with your heavenly father and he refuses, he refuses not to call you one of his children. Fully accepted, fully loved, and fully made new. This is not your doing. Stop doing. Just receive it. Grace is you don't deserve it. None of you deserve it. Phil Nelson for sure does not deserve it. And guess what? This will blow any religious platform out of the water. You can't earn it. You cannot earn it, for you've already fallen from grace in your sin. And we can only receive grace by receiving what Jesus did. For instance, for instance, if I go up to Mike Montag and I say, Mike, you've done so much for me and my family with your landscaping business, you've done this and you've done that, and I'm so absolutely grateful for all you've done. I have a $100 gift card. This is just an illustration, I'm sorry. (laughs) I have a $100 gift card, and I want to give it to you as a thank you and as a gift. And Mike says, no, 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 Phil, I'm sorry. I cannot take that gift. I know it's $100. Can I pay you for it? No, Mike, you can't pay me for it. It It is a gift. It's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. Well, how about I pay you $50? No, Mike, you can't pay me $50. Well, how about you pay me $25? Okay, Mike, pay me $25. It is no longer a gift card. It is a discounted card. And when Jesus offers a free gift by dying on the cross, it is free. 
And the moment we start bargaining with God and we try to earn it and get right with God, because it's all about getting right with God, right? We've got to get vertical with God. It's all about if God's okay with me. I'm sorry, from the foundations of earth, of the earth, God has always been okay with you. Another illustration is if Brian and I go to battle, and I'm not making light of war at all because I know men lose their lives, men and women lose their lives every day, but just for an illustration, we're in Afghanistan and we're fighting in the same foxhole. And all of a sudden, a grenade comes in that foxhole and Brian decides to lay his life down for me and falls on the grenade. Do you think I'm going to come back home and go to his wife, Loretta, and say, I just, I'm not sure if Brian was right with me. I, I'm not sure what he thought about me. She's going to slap me. And she's going to say, my husband laid his life down for you. You shouldn't guess if you're right with him. And so often we go through the Christian life trying to earn his grace. He died for you. He loves you. He is madly in love with you. Stop doing and start being his child. And I know I'm I'm running out of time. Welcome to my life. (laughs) Dennis and Jacob, would you come come up, please? We're going to do a quick question and answer. We did this last week, and Annette Salmons will have a mic. We have about 10 minutes or so to answer questions, but I'm gonna, I want to I wanna just wrap this up. We have to receive this salvation through faith, not feelings. This is not about what you feel and what you experience. Yes, feelings sometimes come when we're genuine and we ask the Lord to come, but here's the three things I want to give to you. It's this. We have to, first of all, believe in his love. Believe means to fully depend, to fully rely, to fall. And let me ask you this. You may have said a sinner's prayer. You may have had an experience with God, but let me ask you this. Have you fallen and fully depended on Jesus alone? Because until you do that, you're not saved. Until you do that, there's not a conversion of a life change from the old man. If you're still living in the old man and you never go into the new, you're not new. Now, we can be new and we can slip into the old man, but God's grace is always there. Okay? So we have to receive it. But first, we have to believe it. We have to believe his love. Second, we have to receive his love. You have to receive it. Take it all in. Soak it up. So many of you, who would not go? I mean, we, we give out a trunk or treat. We give out a lot of free candy. We get over 1,000 people on this campus. People like free stuff. This is free. But you have to receive it. Salvation costs you nothing. It costs Jesus everything. But walking with Jesus costs you your life. Because you have to die to the old man. And you have to walk in the new. And so what does a Christian look like? What does a Christian look like? Well, he goes to church. No. It's important. Well, he gives his tithe. No, it's important. Well, he serves in the church. No, it's important. Jesus said, they will know you are mine by your love for one another. 
If you don't receive Jesus' love, you cannot be Jesus on earth to other people. This is huge. This would change our church. This would change Blanchester. This would change our world. If we began to receive the love that we believed in in Jesus Christ, and we began to be the church. I just felt like I need to read this. 1 John. We're going to go to 1 John. Actually, Galatians 5, 6. It says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. In Jewish culture, circumcision was a mark that you were God's children of Abraham. And now, through the Holy Spirit, when we receive Jesus' love, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God comes in us and marks our heart. And no longer is it the law and doing things that give the appearance that you're a Christian. It's by how you treat one another. Galatians 5 says, For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. That is the only thing that matters, church. That is the only thing. Do you realize that besides that, everything else unbelievers can do? Unbelievers can go to church. Unbelievers can give to the church. Unbelievers can even get baptized. Because they're saying that they believe in Christ or that they're going to be a Christian. But one thing that marks Christians is, have you received his love? Because if you've received his love, your life will change. And if your life changes, you begin to love one another. And so Christians, true followers of Christ, know that they're fully loved. And they fully love people. They ask the question, and I'm changing and I'm growing, church. But we have been talking the last couple months as a staff. What does love require of us? And I ask you this. If you've believed in Jesus Christ and his love and you've received it, says that you have died to yourself and you've become new. The mark of a Christian is life change through love and a lifestyle living out love the mark of a christian the brand that we can all recognize is a life that receives god's love and a life that lives out that same love what does love require of you many of you are acting like little kids and getting offended at the littlest things you have friends in the church that you are not friends with anymore and you are living for self. We need to ask God, if your love lives in me, your love will never fail me, your love will never leave me, help me love others. Don't try to love others. Receive God's love for you and you will automatically start to share his love. I'm done. First question. First question. Anyone? Since I don't see hands up, Dennis, you want to just touch on kind of one of the big questions in the room that maybe people don't want to ask, let's just pop that balloon. First, turn your mic on. There's two. Which one do you want to pop? The, the, can Let, you lose let's your do both. Let's do both. Right. Questions that, that came, came in many times was, was about can you lose your salvation and, and um, is that possible? And then in response, I want to say this. There are many 
people who believe you can lose your salvation, and those are good-hearted people. They're good pastors. They're good denominations that teach that, and, and I don't have anything but compassion and kindness for them. But here at Elevation, we believe that once you're saved, once you're redeemed, that you can never, ever, ever lose your salvation. Okay? Now, in saying that, I have a lot of grace for people who say, yeah, you're not going to lose it, but you can give it away and those kind of things. There's that 1% chance, and I, and I don't feel need to argue, but we just simply believe that once you're seated in Christ, and that Christ is in you, and that you're at the right hand of the Father, mm. that you can never not be in Christ at the right hand of the Father. It's grace, yeah. Okay, and that's what grace did. Now, can you be a disobedient child? Absolutely. Can you incur the wrath of God called discipline? Yes, you can. But if you've had a true salvation experience where you've opened up your heart and you said, Jesus Christ, I trust you. Come into my life. I want you in my life. I want you. Your life over the course of 40 or 50 years may do this. But all through that, you're in Christ. You are God's. And he loves you deeply. And he's calling you to obedience. And that's the struggle. There's a difference between the, the, an immature believer, Paul calls them children, and immature. It's usually obedience. Obedience to Christ is for you. <laughs> it's not for him. Obedience is what helps you mature and grow and develop in your spiritual journey. Right. But disobedience will be disciplined by God. But one of those disciplines is not taking away your salvation. Yeah, and the, and the other question was, um, which we covered uh, um, during our, our week study. Uh, by the way, every week during this series, the whole teaching team is a part of this. And um, one of the questions was, well, what about that scripture that says the unforgivable sin? What is that? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Dennis, you want to take that one? <laughs> Mr. Sure. sure. If, you, if you turn to Matthew chapter 12, and let's just, let's just do that together, because this comes up so often. It came up many times in that. In Matthew chapter 12, let's begin with verse 22. And I'll wait till everybody gets there. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed, and they said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, now get that, this is the Pharisees, when they heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub or Satan, the prince of demons, saying that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if, I, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever... Uh, does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blaspheming against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And so that, that is the, the question that comes up often. In the context, and you see this in the Gospel of Mark and Luke also, he is dealing specifically with the Pharisees who were judging Jesus 
And they actually accused Jesus of being Satan. He actually said, Satan, this, this Messiah, the Son of God, Satan, is, is the one doing this. And in that context, he says, the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What he is telling the Pharisees is, if you believe that I am of Satan, then you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And he says, that cannot be forgiven. Now, the fact that people even ask that question, I try to tell them, the very fact that you ask that question means that you've never done it because you wouldn't be concerned about <laughs> you wouldn't be concerned about it if you did it. Okay? Some of the scholars, it's interesting in my studies over the years, some of the scholars even say that they believe that this was a one time event that could not happen today anyway, because Jesus was on earth and he was dealing specifically with the Pharisees at that time, dealing with them directly, eyeball to eyeball, and saying, You are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And that it was a sin given for that time, for that period when Jesus was in the flesh. Um, I could go either way on that. But basically, the, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you say Jesus Christ is the devil. Awesome. All right. Just a few, min- few minutes. Question. Come on. Don't let me down. You guys were awesome last week. I mean, you're still awesome. Question on salvation. Come on. Why do we make it so hard? Jacob? <laughs> Our new youth pastor, everybody. Thank you. Um, I think a lot of times we make it hard. Um, first of all, it's just who we are as humans. Um, it's easy for us to complicate things. Um, and so often I know there's a lot of pride in me. And so when people, even people, normal people, are doing things for me for free, whether it's a really nice gift... There's some part of me that always feels bad about accepting it because I didn't do anything to work for it. And so I think that's where religion and those work base and just feeling like I have to check off this checklist in order to get salvation because we want to be able to look around to others in our pride and say, well, I worked for it to get to this point. And that's just missing the mark of what Bill was talking about is that free gift. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are in life. As somebody who's done the most horrendous things that accepts Christ is now at the exact same level as somebody who lived, you know, so well, you know, like Mother Teresa and accepted Christ, that they would be at the same level of salvation, that neither one has worked for their salvation. That's it's ultimately in the end. And so Mm. I think we make it hard because of our pride. Mm. And unfortunately, throughout history, we've seen people use religion to hold power over people as well. And yeah. so people have leveraged that salvation to get into heaven in order to gain power over people. Yeah. And that's just sin fleshing out yeah. again. And if you think about it too, when you're talking about compli- uh, b- being complicated, what we do is we try to earn grace again. That's, that's, we're going back to the old covenant way. We're going back to the temple way of living. Um, the Christian faith lived out through love in Galatians 5 is absolutely 100% simple, but it is demanding. It is more demanding than just going through the motions of a complicated religious system, which is easy if you think about it. You just go through the moves. You just look like the mold. Salvation is so simple, but it's so demanding because it's all about depending fully on Jesus and always sacrificing your selfish self. And allowing God's love to work through you. 
That's demanding, but it's so simple. Well, and, the, and, and a biblical illustration of, of, of salvation is marriage. I'm fully married to Brenda. Do I do crazy things in that marriage? Absolutely not. Yeah. But, but she's my wife and I'm her husband. I'm in covenant with her for, till death do I do we part. And that's the, the, the way the spiritual journey is. The Christian walk is with Christ. Do we do crazy things? Do we have ups and downs? Of course we do. You know, but he's there with us all the time. And Jesus said, no one's going to snatch us. But there's that part, as Jacob said, there's that part of us where we feel like, hey, you know what, man? You know, I got to step up to the plate a little bit. Well, the thing is, you don't have to step up to the plate for salvation. You have to step up to the plate for growth. <laughs> you know, and for maturity, then step up to the plate. I don't give. Brenda and I don't tithe because there's some rule that says, I have to do this because if I don't do this, then this will happen to my life. We tithe because we just love Jesus, and we get giddy about giving. It's exciting for us to give. We love giving because he's matured us to that point, right? Loving people who are my enemies. You know, the neat thing about having an enemy is God's saying, great, we get to test Dennis. He's going to bring an enemy. Let's see if Dennis can love him. You know, and in me loving my, my enemy, the Holy Spirit is flowing through me and maturing me and growing me. But if I can't love my enemy at that point, that doesn't mean I'm not saved. Yeah. It just means that he's got to grow me. Yeah, that's good. And the Holy Spirit, again, is the fruit, uh, the, the sign that we're sealed. It's the guarantee that God is who he said he is. And so ask yourself, in my heart, Am I showing the fruit of what God's done for me? Because if you are, that's the evidence of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Is it always going to be there? Yes. Are you always going to activate it and lean on it? Absolutely not. And that's grace. And you continue to just, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Fill me now. Empower me to love others as you loved me. And so I want you to bow your heads as the band comes up. And I'm just going to speak, uh, everyone in the lobby, everyone in your seats, I want you to be absolutely still. This is a moment I don't want to pass. No walking, no talking, put your phones away, please. I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to not just say a prayer, but to believe that Jesus truly loves he loves you. He loves you. There is nothing you could ever do to outrun his love. He loves you. Do you believe it? It says by faith. Faith means we're resting on something we can't tangibly see, but we fall and depend fully on Jesus' love of what he did for you. And here's the big one then. Have you received it? Have you surrendered your life to God? Because if you believe Jesus is Lord, then that means you're not. You're not. He is. So let him in to your life. Jesus says in Revelation, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. I'm not going to force myself. I knock. 
And if you'll let me come in, I will come with the fullness and abundant life that you've never been able to imagine or dream of. So the sinner's prayer is just, Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for taking my place. I now give my life to you. Come in to my life. Come in. Just say those two words. Come in. Come in. Come in. Just come in. Hello, come in. Just come in and have your way. If you believe and receive and have God come in, He says that His Holy Spirit will come and change you and live inside of you. And so, if you're praying that and you're seeking that today, I want you by faith to just step up wherever you are and come to the altar and as a physical sign of you surrendering and fully leaning in, fully trusting and falling on Jesus, just come and bow your knee up front. This is not for anybody else. It's for God to let him know that you are all in. Unashamedly, just wherever you are, just come as we respond. Just come. Come.